Welcome back, Brown Girls. Ashanti here, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. When we talk about women of color breaking barriers in politics, oftentimes this means referring to the fact that they are the first to do something. On this episode, we talk to three women who are the first women of color to lead their national progressive organizations. Stay tuned to get to know Rana Epstein, the executive director of Move On, Karandi Williams, the executive director of Repower, and Yvette Simpson, the CEO of Democracy for America, to hear how they are shaping the future of the democratic and progressive movements. Very, very excited about this conversation and to be able to bring you three badass women together here in D.C. Thank you for replying to my email and wanting to be on the podcast. So we will get started first with your name, your organization, and you're all relatively new in your roles. So what is the favorite part of your new job? So my name is Yvette Simpson. I'm the CEO of Democracy for America. I love the fact that there is a network of amazing black women who are doing this work that I get to be sisters with and collaborate with and commiserate with. I was pleasantly surprised at the number of black and brown women who are in the movement space, who are growing into and leading organizations Mm -hmm. like this. And I can tell you that the sisterhood has been 100% real. And I love that. And that was a pleasant surprise that, you know, particularly because I'm the first woman to lead my organization and the first woman of color. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the sisterhood has been amazing. And the way I've been welcomed into the community has been fantastic. Oh, we love you. Thank you. I'm Rana Epting. I'm the executive director at Move On. Happy to be here. I've been in this role since October of this year or of 2019. My favorite part of being an executive director of Move On is I get to make all the decisions. <laughs> yes, boss lady. But to be honest, I mean, I've been a, a chief of staff, a chief of program, a deputy director. I've, I've been a practitioner in the work in campaigns and elections and organizing and leadership development for a long time. I've had a lot of opinions. I've pushed a lot of EDs and and presidents uh, uh, to approve proposals I've put before them and and organized to get the support in either in labor or in advocacy organizations to do certain things. And I've never had the decision-making power until um, at at this level. And I, I like being able to make the decisions and to make the decisions based on years of experience and what I know is important in order to lead uh, in the organizing world and the organizing space that we that we are in. Um, and I'll tell you, like, the amount of decisions I make on a day-to-day basis <laughs> a, as an executive director has probably quadrupled. Yeah. Um, and at some points, I was talking with Karendi earlier, it's exhausting. Yes. <laughs> like, really, I've got to decide uh, something in our budget that's around, you know, $10,000, and next to a, a question around how do we drive the next version of our impeachment campaigning and what is the strategy and our posture in that moment. So the level of decision making, the amount of decision making at some points is exhausting, but it's also exhilarating and I love it. She likes to make decisions. I don't. <laughs> um, so I'm Karendi Williams. I am the executive director at Repower. And I have been in the role for about five months. And so uh, since the summer, And I'd say the thing I love about uh, my job so far the most is I get to work for an organization 
that's smaller in scale than other organizations that I've worked for before. And in those organizations, I've always felt like it's so hard to bring about change because you have such um, bureaucracies that you have to go through and levels of bureaucracy. And now I'm in charge at a pretty small, small, in small organization comparatively to what I've been in before. And now I can actually move and change quickly at a quicker pace. So I really love that about my job. And I was also telling Rana, the thing I love the most is we have our, our uh, mission and vision is around centering people of color and women of color specifically in the work. And it's not a tagline. It actually shows up in the work we do every day. And that's really powerful. And so that's the thing I enjoy the most is that we are being about what we say we're about. And it's not just about, you know, it looks good on paper. It actually shows up in the work every day. And that's incredibly enjoying for me, satisfying for me. I think we can all agree we love when organizations actually live their values and not just state their values. And listening to the three of you talk, I actually got a little emotional because this is the first time I would have ever been able to put together even a panel discussion like this of women of color leading these progressive organizations. So, so many of the discussions we've had this season on the BGG, honestly, last year, five years, 10 years ago, they did not exist. And I think it's important for us to talk about the fact that everyone does start somewhere. And for the majority of us as black and brown women, it is at the local level. So how did you get started at the local level? What brought you into politics? I'll go. Um, for me, actually, when I, I thought about that, it's um, it was policymaking that actually drew me into politics. I really enjoyed um, thinking about how we can actually effectuate change through policymaking. And politics is a, is a tool, and it's a path to doing that. Um, politics affects our daily lives every single day. And so for me, it was... I was drawn into, wow, I can actually engage in a process that actually give about, go about making change. And so policy was actually what drew me to politics at the local level. And at the local level, you can also feel the impact of the changes that you can make. At the federal level, it's a little harder because you know it's everywhere, but in your, in your locality, in your, your mayor's race, in the city council race, in your school board, in your small community, politics actually matters every single day and the decisions that these policymakers make actually affects you at who picks up the trash and like mm -hmm. all the you know the rules and regulations that folks don't think about that is decided by politicians right so that's what really drew me into politics at the local level is really around my love for policy and policy changes and I saw that politics was like one of the most direct way that you can mm -hmm. actually impact policy so from a very young age, I always had a righteousness about me that sometimes was laughable, but I think my close friends But can, look at you now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think my close friends can identify with, with that statement. Um, but I always wanted to do something that was about making the world a better place. So I went, in, I went to law school, and I was in law school in Portland, Oregon, and I was on the trajectory to be a family law attorney, and a bunch of white people organized me to come into advocacy and to give up the practice of law and instead engage in political organizing. And they did a really good job, and I'm really grateful. They completely changed my life, and I'm so incredibly happy. And it was a moment, I had just graduated law school in Portland, Oregon, and I thought, oh, there's a state democratic convention, and I want to go. What is this about? I have an opinion. 
I want to be there. So I called the Demo- the state Democratic Party and I said, I can't afford this ticket. It was something like 500 bucks. I had no money at the time. I just graduated school. I could barely pay my monthly bills. And I said, I want to go, but I can't afford it. How are you going to get me there? And they said, call the Oregon Bus Project. And I thought, why would I call a bus company? <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out the Oregon Bus Project, it's now um, under a different name in Oregon. It was a, a scrappy startup youth organizing project in in Portland, Oregon. And its goal was to engage young people in politics. Instead of going to Wall Street, folks should stay in their communities and work to build a better community for everybody. And I called them because I wanted to go to this convention. And I was organized effectively. Their ED at the time said, come on in. I went to law school. Let's talk about law. Let's talk about law in Oregon. And we had this long conversation over a cup of coffee. And next thing I know, I'm volunteering with the bus project and I'm organizing young people and training them every day, helping them, not, you know, training them on canvassing, on phone banking, ratcheting up my debt <laughs> and not paying my bills. But what I realized is that I could have I could make a career out of making the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And if I could spend the eight hours a day on what I truly cared about, that was an incredible gift and a privilege that I should take advantage of. So that's how I got involved, and I eventually ended up going into Wellstone Action being a trainer, the former version of Repower, and it helped open my eyes to a whole national network of young people that were training other young people to be politically active, and it made me feel, it made me realize that I wasn't alone in wanting to make this world a better place, and I wasn't Pollyannish, and I wasn't naive, and I wasn't some silly young girl who didn't know what was going on, but actually we could do this. And it wasn't just me doing it on my own, that I could join this team of folks all over the country. And it changed my life forever, and that's why I'm here today. That's so great, because so many people, I know I was one of them, I never thought this could be a career, that you could actually just do this every day for a living. But part of that was because I didn't see any women who look like me who are able to do that, you know, really in Nevada, so I had to look far away, but then you're like, I can't be like them, just like, no, I can't be like Donna and Mignon. So whenever I hear those stories, I think it's important, especially for us who are, who are here now, because there are young girls who are listening, so they can know like, yes, like you actually can wake up and do this every day. Yeah. So I started in election protection, also a lawyer, and uh, Ohio was an original offender. We talk about Georgia and we talk about Florida now, but Ohio, mm-hmm. purging voters, all kinds of shiggity going on in elections, <laughs> uh, you know, in the ballot box, in the, you know, precinct executives having way too much power, um, people's vote, you know, voter registration just not showing up. Um, and so when Barack Obama ran for office, um, the first time I, as a lawyer, became a part of the voter protection team. Uh, which was a group of lawyers um, throughout the state who helped to make sure that in every single precinct throughout our state, um, we made sure every vote counted. And so um, I got the bug a little bit there and then worked on a study that our local um, women's fund and our um, local university was doing about why more women don't run. Mm And Mm. I just wanted to know, like I had at that point, I wasn't interested in actually being in politics, but I wanted to like, why not? Right. So I was a part of the steering committee, um, got lured into being a part of a focus group 
and then eventually was asked to run for office by a, a woman who had been our mayor years before. And so I joined the elected ministry, um, is what we call it, and because um, you've got to be a saint to do it. And uh, it was a beautiful thing. Like I, I rejected it for a long time because I didn't think that you could be a good person, principled, honest, bold, uh, and actually be successful in politics. But I thought, what do I have to lose? And I watched Barack Obama really be an example and others around me locally. And so let me try it, right? So it was interesting in that study that we did that the number one reason we found out that women don't run is because no one asked them to run. Mm -hmm. And probably the number two and number three reason that women don't run is, you know, the number two reason we just don't believe that we, we can win. We, are, we don't feel as qualified as the men that we are more qualified than. Uh -huh. So I served uh, for six years uh, in Cincinnati City Council, uh, President Pro Tem for four years of that, as you all know, ran to be uh, in the year of the black woman mayor in 2017 to be one of the be the first black woman mayor of my city, won our primary, lost our general. Uh, but I can tell you that local politics is the heartbeat, you know, and I remember that the federal shutdown happened when I was uh, a local elected official and I was going doing organizing in my community, talking to people about the issues that matter. Uh, and folks were like, uh, is are you guys going to shut down? And I was like, oh, honey, we cannot shut down. <laughs> Not for one day because you don't have trash collection, right. your toilet won't yeah. flush, the police don't show up, the ambulance won't come, the lights won't work. Um, and so like we, local politics is, is ground zero for a lot of people. I had really big dreams about representing people who don't have a voice and were, was able to do a lot of work um, at the local level, a lot more than I thought I could. Um, and was bold uh, and unapologetic in my advocacy for people who don't have a voice. And, um, and so coming into this movement space has been a little interesting because I came through the electoral side, through, through the uh, public, public leadership, and I've learned a ton um, about the bigger movement that ultimately supported me. Uh, I went through Wellstone, a, a female, another female um, political leader called me and she said, Wellstone, now Repower, um, has that. a training, <laughs> Repower, we'll just call it that, um, has a training in Columbus, I paid your registration, get in your car and drive up tomorrow. And I was like, okay, I'm canceling my day tomorrow and I'm gonna go up and I was trained through Repower before I was elected. Best training and best experience I could, I felt prepared. And so won my very first election which never happens, um, won re-election, which they didn't expect to happen, uh, and uh, was able to serve my city and my community. And I think that that is an important thing for folks who are trying to find a way to get involved. Uh, if you're not already doing organizing work or movement work, run for office. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really important thing to do. And I would venture to say that women um, are just better in elected leadership than men at all the things. Yeah. We can hold people's interests, multiple different interests at heart. Right. We can empathize. We can make multiple decisions on within, you know, mm -hmm. minutes time. I mean, it's just I think we're much more skilled and able to be leaders. No offense to my male uh, friends and comrades in the movement. Well, they know it. They're honest. They do know it. <laughs> the other thing I would add, too, and as uh, listening to Yvette speak, uh, I also grew up in Ohio politics. Mm -hmm. and we have our Ohio connection. 
But I would also say that there are leadership roles in politics that aren't necessarily folks that have to run for office. Mm -hmm. So my beginning, as I said, was through the policy angle. And I started working for the Ohio um, legislature. And the thing that I really think is critical when we, with all the young people that are listening, that you don't actually have to be the person who is the elected official. You can be the person who's making the elected make the decision. Right? Yes. So, you know, I always felt... And it was an interesting experience in Ohio um, where I was, you know, a young black woman who was, and if anyone knows Ohio, it's like a bunch of older white men. Mm -hmm. And so I had experiences of going into every room I was in when I was the young black girl who I was assumed to be his intern or the secretary, and I was his director of government affairs and the one who was advising him mm -hmm. of, of the decisions that he was making. So there are many paths in politics um, that young women um, can occupy that are all very powerful positions to be in. And, and because I love the legislative side of the work, that I like to encourage people to say too, that that's not, being an elected, although that is a path and you should serve and, and all of that, there's other roles in politics that are very influential that folks should think about as well. And that's so true because we need the representation across the spectrum. Right. We yeah. just did an event with women of color leading on Capitol Hill. And I really wanted to do that because most people don't think about Capitol Hill. And these are women with really big roles that are influencing policy. And we need more of them in that space. And I want to go back to something you said of that because I feel it's really important to talk about when you talked about, can you actually be an honest person in politics? And for so many people, I think we can see, we're recording this on impeachment day, there are a lot of people who don't do this for the right reasons. They do abuse their power. It is for personal gain. So like, how did you overcome that? Because I'll be honest, even thinking about politics, I was always like, well, I'm not gonna be like that person at all. But then how do you just stay so focused on making sure it is about the people and it's why I'm also very careful about yeah. choosing who is on the podcast because they're all amazing people, but also everyone I have on, you also lift up other women of color, which I feel is very important when you're doing this work. Well, I think the most important thing to remember is who you're serving. And as long as you keep your eye on who you're serving, it's impossible for you not to honor them with accountability over yourself and the things that you do. So I grew up really, really poor um, and ultimately served a lot of people who were also poor and didn't have an advantage. And I remember um, you know, organizing in my community, getting people excited about the work that we were gonna do. We had a, our slogan was the power of we and the idea that it's not about me, it's about each and every one of us doing what we can do to make our community better. And folks would say, well, if you get elected, don't you forget about me. Don't become one of those politicians. You mm -hmm. need to make sure you're serving me. But you're holding all of these people who are counting on you and all the little girls. So I'm gonna tell you a story that might make you cry a little bit. So I'm, my first day on the day is, we haven't had a lot of black women serve at all. I was only the fifth woman, black woman, in the history of our entire city to serve on council. So my first day, this little black girl is sitting in the audience, and I'm conducting myself, and I step off, and this young girl comes up to me. She's with her mom, and she's about 13, 
got a little swag about her, real cute. And she walked up to me and she said, you're beautiful and you inspire me. It still chokes me up. And cause she was like 13, like, you know, like she's walking up to me saying that, you know? And I didn't know what this, like, I was just like, thank you. And this seat will be for you. Work hard, keep coming back, I'm here. And it was just, it reminded me that like every little brown girl and arguably every white girl, we haven't had that many women on our council was looking to me as an example and I just could not let them down. And so as easy as some people find it to go dirty or go low, we ran and served with integrity. And the funny thing is, even though we lost that general election, people still come up to me and say, mm. you lost, but you won. Yeah. Because the way yeah. you ran and the way you served will always be remembered. Because yeah. we, yeah. it was a horribly dirty campaign run against me. And we never went low, mm -hmm. not once. Yeah. And people remember that. Yeah, and that I will remember. outlast any service that you have. And people still feel, they come up to me and they still feel like I honored them with my service. I remember, and you did run a really great campaign. You had Jessica Bird yes. helping you out. Mm -hmm. And I just admired everything that you did. But even for me, I felt so seen yeah. in your campaign yeah. and I didn't even live in Ohio. Yeah. I was like going through my Facebook. I was like, who do I know in Ohio that I can send to volunteer, yeah. make sure that they're voting? Yeah. And I think that's the impact that you really had. And that was the beautiful thing about having a sisterhood of women who were all running together. They called it the essence and Ebony called it the year of the black woman mayor. Mm -hmm. And you know, folks like Tashara Jones yeah. and you know, Vi Lyles mm -hmm. and, and Keisha and I go, all of us um, were running together in the mm -hmm. same year, you mm -hmm. know? And it was one of those things where um, we, if we had all won, we would have literally doubled mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. number of women, 200% actually, the number yeah. of women serving as leaders of the top 100 cities. Yeah. And we were all breaking glass, mm -hmm. meaning we were the first, all of us would mm -hmm. have been the first. And so having that camaraderie, having that sisterhood and having people see us together, I still go around the country and people say, you're Yvette Simpson, you ran for mayor, right? Um, and now we're the people's mayors of Wakanda, but that's fine, we'll have a conversation <laughs> oh about that. Gosh. Um, but yeah, it was important because there were so many of us who were, were doing this together and breaking through together. Mm -hmm. And that sisterhood was really, really important. And I did feel loved and I did feel seen. As we get closer and closer to the 2020 election, campaigns start to stretch their budgets to make every dollar count. That's why it's so important to make a donation to the candidate or the cause that you believe in at every stage and every race you can. As I always like to remind people, every dollar counts. One AdBlue donor, Katerina, summarized it best when she said, I'm a single mother with three kids and I watch every dollar in my budget but I love the fact that I feel like I can move the needle just a little bit for my children's future by donating $5 at a time, and that my $5 is just as important as any billionaire's. It's really so true. Small dollar donors can make all the difference. AdGlue is a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering small dollar donors like Katerina. They make it easy for grassroots supporters to make their voices heard and help thousands of Democratic campaigns, progressive organizations, and nonprofits build people-powered movements. Visit secure.actblue.com backslash about to learn more and become a donor yourself. 
That's secure.atblue.com backslash about. So I pulled up something on my phone because I do want to talk about policy some more. And I bookmarked this from Instagram. It came from Voto Latino, and I thought it was so perfect. So it says, you're just not that into politics. Your boss is, your landlord is, your insurance company is, and every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. It's time to get into politics. Come on. Right? Can we go there? We're about to talk about it. (laughs) Can we? Can we? Because I still hear that doing this, meeting people, I'm just not into politics. Politics doesn't impact me. And like every day you wake up, you are in some way impacted by politics. Like if you're able to turn on your lights, the water that you drink, the bus that you take, the roads that that bus is on, and especially as black and brown people, our lives are so inherently political because every policy just, it impacts us, but it just impacts us in profound ways. So as organizers, what are just some examples of ways where you have seen political organizing have an impact on policy? So the biggest scam ever in the history of our country was this belief that you shouldn't talk about politics. Shouldn't talk about politics at the dinner table. You shouldn't talk about it at work. I mean, people still tell me, well, I don't wanna talk politics. I'm not into politics. Politics is into you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I love the saying, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, right? Yes. This idea, and I, and I can't believe, I'm like, where does that come from? that for some reason we're not supposed to talk about politics. And I think that was a scam. I think it was a message to keep us Mm -hmm. from owning and wielding the power that we so need. Speak on it. There was a story that was released a couple years ago, and I can't remember what it was, but it was talking about the inverse relationship. The people who need politics the most are the least engaged. Mm -hmm. And they have been told, one, that they shouldn't talk about it, two, that it doesn't work, three, that they will never benefit from it, four, that they shouldn't get involved in it, mm-hmm. all lies. And I believe that that was a messaging scheme that was started long before I got here that mm-hmm. is carried over. And I think what we have to realize right now is what you said, is that the reason politics doesn't work for us is because we're not engaged. Mm-hmm. So when I was an elected official, I organized communities, poor and, and, and um, black and brown communities to show up because what happens in local politics and politics all across at every level is the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Mm, and so mm. we'd, have, we'd have something that affected the suburban, rich, predominantly white communities, and they would show up and mm. show out. It would be a zoning change, mm-hmm. it would be a stop sign, it would be, a, it would be potholes, it would be you know one of the speed humps on the street, and they would show up like they were gonna lose their life. And then we had these poor communities and these disenfranchised communities that for a lot of reasons mm-hmm. didn't feel empowered, didn't have the ability, didn't have the, you know, the, the information, were dissuaded from showing up. And so when we would have, I did a couple things. One, I required our um, clerk to always put the name of the community next to each item and to publish that and put that out. 
before mm. the vote. So you knew if your neighborhood was being impacted by an item so you could show up. Transparency. We did things like have evening meetings. I did meetings in the community. All my committee meetings we would do once a month in the community, bring mm. it to them. Talking about that scam made reminded me of when I was younger mm -hmm. and I told my grandmother who is an immigrant from Iran, no longer with us, I told her I'm gonna stop practicing law she wanted me to be a millionaire. She was like, your goal in life is to be rich. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to pra stop practicing law. I'm going to go into grassroots organizing. And she pleaded with me in Farsi. Mm -hmm. My mom had to translate. She said, well, <laughs> Grandma doesn't really want you to do this. She thinks it's a mistake. You need to be wealthy. And I, and I didn't understand at the time. I was like 27. I said, why is she so committed to this? Like, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to do community organizing. This is really important for our community. And she said, in Iran, if you don't have money, you have no power. Mm. And so for her, she was looking out for my safety and she didn't understand American democracy cut to 2007 <laughs> where we weren't facing an authoritarian president, but she, but she didn't understand what I was viewing in American democracy is actually we can have power and it's not about our pocketbook. It's about our ability to organize and mobilize people. Um, and so when you ask about where have I seen political organizing work and be impactful? And in the dirty word of politics, I actually think we're in a moment in this country, and I think we've all seen it around this table here, where you've seen people that have never been active, politically active ever before in their life are showing up. I mean, I was at a rally today to support the U.S. House impeaching this president and I saw someone with a sign that says, I used to be a voter, but now I'm an activist. Mm. I mean, there are people mm -hmm. every day that are doing things that never, never cross their mind mm -hmm. their entire lifetimes. And these are like 70-year-old folks, 20-year-old mm -hmm. folks, all mm -hmm. up and down the age spectrum, all kinds of races, and folks are taking action. And the way I, the, the one, the moment when I, you ask that question, the moment that comes to my mind is middle of 2017, we're fighting the Republicans in Congress to s put an end to their attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of times they voted to repeal the ACA. Thousands of people across this country protesting from die-ins at local congressional offices to actions on the Hill. Such undeniable public pressure against Trump care that the U.S. House and Senate, controlled by Republicans at the time, couldn't couldn't win. We defeated them. And there was a moment, like 1 a.m. Uh, on, the, on, the, on the steps of the U.S. Senate. And we have a picture with U.S. You know, elected officials and activists all, all over this, the DMV area on the steps just cheering for joy when we finally mm -hmm. defeated Trump Care. Mm -hmm. and, we did not, and like a defeat is not a win necessarily. I mean, you're, we didn't pass the ACA, but we defeated their attempted strip healthcare from hundreds of thousands of people in this country and actually would have ended up killing people mm -hmm. like pe friends of mine if they took away the health care that they have yeah you know and as I, as I was thinking about the question in terms of how i've seen it work and rana lifted up a really great example at the federal level i want to think about the, the local level where i've seen it work several times and the, the one moment where I've seen and just seen like the impact it's had across the country is the Fight for 15 movement. Mm. And really um, think about how when, when we talked about people and organizing people and the, the power of the collective 
group of folks that are mobilized to actually impact um, their bottom line. And we've seen this movement put hundreds of thousands of people in the street at any given moment. And like people who work at McDonald's and Burger King and other places who probably didn't think they had the power to collectively come together and mobilize to actually impact laws and changes at the at the local level and who have now figured out how to collectively come together and realize the impact and all across the country minimum wages increases are happening everywhere mm -hmm. massachusetts new york seattle like the minimum wage is being increased and so for me that is that is a time where i've really seen where organizing of people have actually had an impact and it's it has had wide scale impact and mm -hmm. i'm like waiting for the moment that we start seeing enough states increasing the minimum wage to actually start getting the federal government to pay attention and i would love for someone to send you know the you know federal electeds that 10-year challenge of mm -hmm. the federal minimum wage and how much you know it has not moved at all and so anyways i just wanted to lift up that example of the the organizing of local people and how that's having impact across the country and currently remember when that campaign started some of us in our in this room were there i don't know about you but i was highly skeptical I was like we're never gonna do this is <laughs> yeah, crazy yeah. five for yeah. 15. Ugh. so that was really great and it's also a segue into the next question I mentioned earlier, it's very important to me to have women on the podcast who are about lifting up other women of color because I'm here because of other women who believed in me, fully believe in paying it forward. At the end of the day, the BGG is all about uplifting the voices of women of color that are not in the mainstream media, even though we just talked about it, everything disproportionately impacts us, but our voices aren't there. So how have other women of color lifted you up in your career? This is one of those questions that is gonna make me tear up. Um, I can, I'm gonna lift up two women of color who has been really important and played really important roles in my life um, and in my career. The first is my mentor, Yvette McGee Brown. Um, love Yvette. She, um, this like the woman I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> but she uh, was a judge at 30. She was a CEO of uh, Nationwide Children's Hospital um, and ran for um, ran as lieutenant governor for Governor Ted Strickland when he ran in 2010. Um, just a really badass woman who just, you know, took me under her wings and really sort of guided me when I was actually questioning what do I do next? Because, you know, we, we lost in 2010 and I was always like politics is where I'm going to be this is my life and and I'm always going to do this work and then when we lost the I, the re-election I was really sort of like I don't want to do this anymore I don't want to keep losing it's too hard and we spent a few months together posting like she was she lost she ran as lieutenant governor and she was comforting me right like she was just like you know and she she really guided me and, and like answered a lot of the questions that I had and like really started questioning myself but she was really supportive and um and I really was like, all right, maybe I can get keep stay in politics somehow, but I don't want to be on the campaign trail anymore. And so I came to SCIU in 2011, and I had not worked at a union before. I'd never worked in labor before, but from afar, I'm like, labor is, a pro is progressive. It's like doing all these amazing things for the people and, you know, standing up for the little guy, and I really want to be a part of that. And when I came to SCIU, my first mentor was Rana. 
and I met her at SCIU um, and you know, I was like, how do I navigate this mammoth organization? Because I'm coming in with all of this experience as a, you know, a government affairs person. Like, you know, I'm a government affairs person. I'm in a movement. I don't know unions. I don't know labor. What do I do in this space? And Rana was the person who was just like, all right, let's sit down together. Let's think, let's think together. Let's talk together. We had coffees together. And Rana was like, all right, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you see yourself in five years? And I will help navigate all of this with you. And you know, I she has been my friend since 2011. We met, and she is she's the person I can go to. Having mentors in your life who you can call to discuss your career and and who can have your back and support you. And this woman has always had my back, period. And like, and it's just yeah, it's really good to have other women of color who have really just see you for what you're worth and who's reminding you every day that you're worth something, you're worthy. Um, and whenever you have those moments of doubt that you can call on, it's like really important to have that. And I've got that in her and... Um, in I've got it in you too. <laughs> I mean, it went both ways, I'll say. I mean, I, I started my activism at a time where maybe I was in the wrong place, but I didn't see a lot of people helping each other out. It was kind of a every man for themselves every woman for themselves. And, you know, I started my, my activism career in Oregon, which is not a very demographically diverse place. So I, I remember a couple of folks that really helped me. One, one woman, African-American woman in, in Oregon, saw that I was being trained to be an organizer with, you know, not the best values. So the people that were training me were not really training me around solidarity, around racial justice, around equity. They were training me around winning at all costs and she I think with really good intentions kind of straightened me out (laughs) (laughs) she's like you can't just ask the black leader to come to your table when you haven't even you know you've already set the table and you want me here and 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 it made me realize oh wait what am I being taught here Um, so she opened my eyes Joanne Hardesty, I don't know if anybody knows her. She's, she's an amazing, I think she's on the city council now or she's doing something amazing in Oregon at this point. And then when I came to SEIU, before I met Karundi, there is a woman, Sujata Tejwani, who many folks know. Yes, she's an incredible Sujata. consultant, an incredible trainer, incredible mentor. Um, and she, I don't know if she would articulate it this way, but in effect, she took me under her wing and I learned so much from her. And she created a safe space for me to be myself. She helped me strengthen my strengths and identify what those are and assured me that learning was part of the work and it's okay. And I owe a lot to her in the sense of like the confidence that I built and the skills that I developed and the space that she created for me to learn on the job. Um, until this day, she's, she's a mentor and a friend of mine. And I would say I didn't really understand, I didn't really learn about solidarity, about bringing other people along with you for the ride and to helping to create other leaders behind you. I didn't really get that until I started at SCIU. And I learned a lot about solidarity across racial lines because if we can't stand strong, no matter where we come from in our background, the boss is going to break us along. They're going to try, try to break us along racial lines. Oh, oh, that. Right. That is so real. That <laughs> is Divide and conquer, so which real. is what we're seeing with this current administration. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had women of color uh, mentor me, uh, Takesha Everett, 
Desiree Hoffman, uh, many women that helped me guide helped guide me through union organizing and union politics, um, and to this day remain close friends. And I'd say, as a new executive director, with Yvette, with Karundi, with a whole long list of women of color that have come into leadership in the progressive movement, it's an incredible space we've created together to support one another um, in roles that are just really hard. It's a sisterhood and like I can often feel it. Like it's like something's, you know, we all been warring today. Like how y'all doing, y'all good? Mm. Um, and, and it is important for us to hold each other up in, in that. And, and it's just a small thing, but it's, it's a way to know that as we're traversing the country, trying to save the world every day, um, that we're not alone. It's a real important thing. I have been blessed to have a ton of black women, way too many to count. Uh, who have been like my encouragers and my shepherds and like my shoulders and like all of it. Um, I'll try to give a few real quick. The first black woman ever to win um, city council, Marion Spencer, we lost her this year, was my inspiration for running. My hope was that before she passed away that she could see the first black woman become mayor. We won, the first black woman win a primary. We didn't ultimately win the general. But she was in her 90s, helped integrate Coney Island, which is was in our, in our schools. Um, her and her sister were the first black women to live in the dorms at our university. Um, she broke so many barriers, and even in her 90s, she would always say, Putin, just keep fighting. And when she would call me Putin, I'd be like, oh my God, I can do anything. I can do anything. Um, and she just was so giving of herself. I would just be at her house and just sit at her feet, just on the carpet, and she would just tell me stories and encourage me. Um, Nina Turner. Uh, you know, who, who could be at this table too, because she was, you know, runs our revolution. When I first met her, my state senator took me to her office and she just came up like she had known me my whole life and gave me the biggest <laughs> hug. And I'm said, envisioning, Girl. I can see it, said, I can Girl. see it. <laughs> and Kamala Harris, who as you know, recently dropped out of the presidential race, will never tell you, she checked on me throughout my mayor's race probably almost every week. Mm. Are you working out? What are you, do I need to t check on you? What is your team doing? Are they treating you right? Are you doing what you need to do? Mm -hmm. She did the same thing for Stacey Abrams. She did the same thing for Lauren Underwood. Mm -hmm. She was behind the scenes encouraging and supporting and I'm a little black girl in Cincinnati running for mayor. She's in California. <laughs> um, was there for me. Um, and never talked about it. She would never share that story. And I love that you told those stories because not everyone gets to see them, and especially that human side of those elected officials, you know, how they lift other people up, because again, we just see them as just these people who are there and the power, we don't get to see like their humanity yeah. and how they are about who they serve. And I have so many more questions. I have loved this conversation, but I do wanna end with our signature question that we ask is, what advice do you have for the brown girls out there listening who are saying, I want to be just like her? Believe in yourself. You know, I have a daughter, I'm a new mom, and it's amazing when I look at her and I imagine when I was small and I didn't think I could ever get to a place where I'm leading an organization and um, also been in politics in really key leadership roles throughout my career. Um, and I didn't think that I could do those things because it is, politics is a field that's really dominated by not, you know, a lot of black women. and and being in Ohio and being an intern and just training and training up, 
I didn't think I could do it. And I had other black women telling me, you're worthy. You can do this. You can actually do any, absolutely anything that you imagine that you can do. Just really believe in yourself and then surround yourself with cheerleaders. Yeah, I would say advice to, to young brown girls, you were born smart. Mm. And don't let anybody mm-hmm. tell you otherwise. And any mm. sign you're seeing that tells you otherwise, you're misinterpreting it. Or the person who's sending it to you don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You were born with smart instincts. You understand people. The things that this society values, such as what number you got on an SAT you know, test, mm. or um, whether you can you know, compu- do a math computation super quickly on the back of a napkin. Those aren't actually the only signs of wisdom or strength. Like mm-hmm. uh, emotional intelligence, ability to understand people, to build relationships, to build trust, to be genuine. That is mm-hmm. the most valuable currency in the world, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And I would double down on Crundy's advice to surround yourself with the cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. My advice would be do it. Just that. Like, I th- and trust yourself. Um... Jessica Bird, who I should have invoked in that last question, is someone who has always told me, because I can get in my head, mm-hmm. overthink, have to have a whole plan, figure out how <laughs> it's going to go before I take that first step. Mm-hmm. That is a mistake. Got this gut thing that is so strong in women, mm-hmm. so strong in women of color. Trust that thing. And um, imposter syndrome is real. And even if you get to a level where you feel like you've accomplished enough that you trust yourself, it's still hard to. Jessica Bird, when I call her and I tell her I want to do something new, she's like, great, mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I don't have a plan, but how am I going to fund it? And who's going to come along? And she's like, it's a great opportunity. You will figure it out because that's who you are. Mm-hmm. And so trust yourself and don't have to, you don't have to know how the end's going to be to start mm. and I think a lot of women we psych ourselves out mm-hmm. we talk ourselves out of things because we mm-hmm. don't think that we know how the end is going to be mm-hmm. but trust your gut mm-hmm. and I always say at the end of the day when I you know head heart agreement is really really important it's one of the ways that I always judge myself <laughs> if my head and my heart are aligned then I know I need to do it but if my head is confusing me I always trust my heart and my gut and my soul mm. my spirit and so I just think so many women wait for all of the things to line up, yep. for mm-hmm. all of the signs mm-hmm. and signals, for somebody to tell us a thousand times for us to be sure that we can and that we're able, uh, and we overthink it and we miss a window or an opportunity. So mm-hmm. I would say if you want to change the world, which is what we aim to do as black women, women of color, mm-hmm. uh, movement leaders, do it. Y'all are all amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to spread all of your knowledge and wisdom with our listeners. And I know I personally appreciate all of you for the work that you do every day to get up and save the world. Thank you, my sisters. (laughs) Make sure you visit the show notes to find the websites for these great organizations. A special thank you to The Outrage for hosting this live discussion. And a special thanks to AdBlue for sponsoring this episode. Stay up to date with us on the BGG website, www.thebgguide.com, and on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at The BG Guide, in between episodes.